Good morning, church. Um, as uh, Amadi had said, uh, welcome to the uh, Harlem region of the New York City Church of Christ. Um, and as we had mentioned, we are in the middle of our training for service workshop. Uh, so for those of you who are visiting, um, the church is going through for the summer uh, uh, essentially a Bible Sunday school class with the entire congregation as we go through the Bible and get really in-depth into the context uh, upon which all the uh, stories in the Bible were written, the timelines, the, the geography, and just the, 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 the mindset of the people living at the time that gives us a bit more perspective when we're trying to apply it to our lives. So um, this week we're going over um, Lesson 18, sorry, Lesson 19, um, Life of Christ Part 2. But beforehand, we're going to go through a quick quiz from the previous lesson. And everyone should be nice and refreshed with having two weeks of uh, preparation time for the quiz. Uh, if I can get the clicker on. I think the guys in the back are getting ready for the quiz. I often get the projector up. Um, but we'll start off with the quiz and then we'll, we'll get into it. So first off, who can name the three main sections of the New Testament? Or the three periods? There we go. Life of Christ. Yep. Beginning of the church. Yep. And the expansion of the church. Give that man a round of applause. Okay, we're gonna give a. I'm gonna lob a softball. Who can name Jesus's first miracle? Ooh, a lot of hands now. Okay. <laughs> Turning water into wine. That is correct. And who was the first person Jesus had kind of a, a Bible study slash life talk to? Oh, someone's, I heard someone say it. I just didn't. Uh, yes, Nicodemus. Perfect. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll spare you guys the rest. We'll go straight into the, the lesson for today. <laughs> um, if we can get the um, lesson started. But um, there we go. The clicker's starting. So in a second, we'll get it. But we'll go straight into this. So um, as we had mentioned. Oh, there we go. We've gone through uh, a few sections uh, of Jesus' life. So we went through the first 30 years of his life, and then we went through his first year of his ministry, when he first started teaching and preaching for that very first year. Now we're going to go into uh, two more sections. So we're going to be sticking to the earthly, earthly life of Christ, and then later on we're going to go to the beginnings of the church and the expansion of the church. But the life of Christ, as we had discussed before, breaks down into a number of different sections. The first 30 years of his life, the first year of his ministry, the second year of the ministry, the third year of the ministry, which is when he got, uh, started getting the oppression. Um, then we go into the last three months um, where he's getting persecuted. Then we go into that very last week, which is also known as the Passion Week. Um, and then we go into um, the 40 days after he's resurrected. Uh, but this week, we're going to focus and really zone in on the second and third years of his ministry. This is where most of the things we remember about his ministry actually happen. Most of the stories you heard, most of the things you've seen, um, the things in the movies, a lot of that is covered in those two years. So we're going to dig right into it with the second year. So the second year of Jesus' ministry, this is when he became really popular. 
right? So in the last uh, study we did two weeks ago, right, he had done a few miracles, right? He had raised one person from the dead, and the word started to spread, right? People started to hear that there's a guy who might be the Messiah who is helping people and healing people like Elijah once did. So in order to do this, the first thing he needed to do is get his apostles. Now, as we go into this, um, as we kind of like to go over the geography here, most of this was covered, and most of the early happenings of Jesus' life uh, and most of his teachings were happening in Galilee. So Galilee was Jesus' kind of main hometown. That said, he did travel all the way down through Samaria and into Judea, as we had talked about a few weeks before, um, which is very rare for most rabbis at the time, as we had talked about. And we're going to get into the whole Samaria thing in a bit more detail later on. Um, but Jesus... Main, Jesus' main stories, most of the lessons you hear about, most of the lessons that were read about, right, and we're going to go into those in a bit more detail, were mostly done in Galilee, um, right by, um, not too far from where he lived. So the first thing he did when he was building his ministry is reaching out and calling disciples. And the first ones he reached out to were uh, four fishermen, right? So he went with James and John, and then he went and got um, Simon and his brother Andrew. So the thing was there, right? These guys were not preachers. These guys were not folks who knew the word, right? They grew up in like Hebrew school like every Jewish person did, and they knew of the Messiah. But when Jesus called, he called them to leave their livelihoods. Now, if you look at this area, so that's Judea here, right? That, that's Galilee here. That's the Sea of Galilee, right? That was essentially their livelihood. If you live by there, you're eating fish. Why? Because that's all you've got. Right? You may be lucky enough to have sheep and goats, but most people, you're living on those fish. Right? That's your livelihood. That's your lifestyle. And these men were fishermen. And most of us remember the, the old story that Jesus saying he will make you fishers of men. Jesus called them to leave their comfort zone, to leave the life they knew, to go and follow him. And they didn't know where he was going. Right? And most of you who studied the Bible realized... Jesus didn't have a house. So they left their comfort, right? They left their just security, and they followed Jesus, and they went all throughout from the very top to the bottom of where the screen covers, right? And they started that just going on faith. And we're going to go into some more context as to why they were able to do that and what motivated them to do that in a little bit more. But the next thing Jesus did was preach his first sermon, which probably goes down as one of the greatest sermons ever written. Uh, Jesus essentially took all the rules of the Jewish leaders for the past 3,000 years and turned them on their heads. He changed it from a, an issue of following rules and regulations and turned it into an issue of the heart. Because up until then, everyone was towing the lines of the rules, right? I can look at someone a certain way, so, and so long as I don't do anything, I'm okay. And Jesus turned that on its head. He was like, no, if you sin in your heart, you've just sinned. Which just completely just took everyone and just threw the world upside down. Right? It was the first time anyone heard someone preach as if they had authority. So from then, Jesus preached, on the, sermon, preached the Sermon on the Mount, and then he started to start helping more and more people. So first one, one of the most notable one, was a healing of Jairus' daughter. Now, most of you have heard this story. There was a man named Jairus, a Jewish leader, who, want, who needed help because his daughter was dying. Jesus comes in and helps him. On the way, 
he stops because a woman tugs on his cloak because she was suffering from bleeding. So instead of just going and kind of shooing the lady off, Jesus stops on his way, turns around, and helps the lady, and then goes about his business, and then still heals, and actually now resurrects Jairus' daughter, because by that time, because it took so long, she's now died, and he has to resurrect her from the dead. But the point I'm making here is, when Jesus is going to help people, he doesn't lose focus on the heart issue. He could have just said, I had a mission, here's my mission, here's my to-do list, there's a guy named Jairus, I have to go do and deal with him. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus was willing to stop whenever he saw a need. Every time he saw a need, he didn't let it distract him, right? And again, he's walking with an entire crowd, and he noticed the one person who had the faith who needed to be healed, you know? So Jesus' heart shows in just the way he behaves and the way he acts towards people. Now, going back, uh, I want to just touch on a couple other things that happened around this same time, right? He also walked by a funeral procession, and there was another child who was dead. The issue was the child's mom was a widow. Now, in those times, if the father died, it was the son's job to kind of take over the household and support the mom so because the mom would need a way to live and survive. So now this widow's only means for support was now lying dead in this procession. Jesus, again, moving through the crowd, sees the procession, stops what he's doing, and helps and heals, this, well, actually resurrects this woman's child, bringing back the one source of income and security that she had. Right? Jesus' compassion superseded his to-do list. Right? He stopped anything he was doing whenever he saw someone in need. And that's just the context, right? because there were a lot of poor people in that area, but Jesus knew to focus and didn't let the, 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 the gravity of the situation overwhelm him. He met every need he could, every opportunity he got. You know. And then from there, he goes on. And then you're going to notice his pattern. Jesus teaches, then he helps someone. Teaches, then helps someone. Right? He, he kind of talks the talk, then walks the walk. So then we go on to the lakeside parables. Um, and these are the ones where you hear throughout, and from the context of uh, just history, he, they believe that he did most of them pretty much in one day. And he went off and just told parables about life, about the kingdom of God, just showing how important, how great it is. And this is the part that I like because it helps me. Now, as I had mentioned a few weeks ago, I get easily distracted, and I, I, I tend to get like, inside my own head about things. And the parables help me to focus on God more than kind of my issues. Right? And it's important when you go and read the parables to actually go into the context. And don't just read them just as stories, but see how they apply to your life and really re- like reinvent them in your own words. And we're going to do that right now with an example of one of my favorite parables, um, and that's the parable of the lost treasure. Uh, so turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to read verses 44 to 46. And again, this is one of the parables that Jesus is teaching to the people on the lake. Jesus, in the Bible reads, uh, sorry, say amen when you get there. Awesome, all right. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, And then in his joy, 
went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So this is a parable most of us have heard before. Uh, But thinking about it in context, right? You have a man walking through a field. He finds a treasure. And as soon as he does, he buries it and he goes back and he looks for everything he has and gets rid of it. Sells everything he has to buy that field. Now, in context, why would anyone ever do that? Why would anyone sell everything they have just for a piece of land? The obvious answer is whatever's in that land is worth more than everything else he has. And that's important to think about in context when I'm struggling with the things in the world that I had to give up, right? The, the, The sins I had to stop doing to become a Christian because what Jesus is saying here is all that stuff you gave up is nowhere near worth as much as what you're getting in return, right? No relationship is greater than the relationship God's trying to establish, right? No sin is worth the pleasure that God's trying to give you without the regret, right? No guilt, no, no worldly possession is worth what God is looking to give you, right? It's, it's not a fair exchange because you're getting so much more than what you're actually giving, right? You're paying for some land that everyone, that looks cheap to, because other people don't realize there's a treasure in there. If you had to pay for it full price, you couldn't afford it. That's why the guy sold everything he had. He realized, it doesn't matter if I lose this stuff. After I get this, I can get so much more stuff. And, but that's the context. And the thing is, getting the context behind the parables, it's inspiring to me and it helps us to get out of our own heads and see things the way God sees them. Because it's easy to kind of put our own spin on things, our own kind of twist on life from our own, uh, our own experiences. This is why Jesus used all these parables that people could understand. He used the parables that could relate to normal everyday life at that time. So you wouldn't get kind of your own spin. It was like, it's pretty simple, right? You're selling something that's worth less to get something that's worth so much more. You know, and going back to the last, um, to, to the next year of his life. So after doing all this, right, now Jesus has resurrected at least three people, right? He's healed at least one woman. So the word of Jesus has spread, right? Now people know about Jesus all over, right? People of crowds follow him everywhere he goes. And this is when the oppression starts. Because remember, there was a hierarchy in the Jewish religion, right? There was an order of things. There was a chain of command. And Jesus was upending all of that. So if you were one of the Pharisees, if you were one of the teachers of the law, and some guy is coming in and is telling everybody else, hey, listen, this is a completely new way of doing things. Everyone's leaving you to follow this person. And this person's performing miracles, so even more people are following him. How do you think they're feeling? They're getting a little jealous. They're feeling some type of way about it. And then furthermore, Jesus then starts calling them out on their hypocrisy. He starts calling out things like their racism. He's calling them out on their greed. So now, now this guy's not only taking all of the, the, the fame that these guys enjoyed, but now he's calling them out on their sin, and he's doing it publicly. So at this point, people are trying to figure out what to do to stop him, but there's only one problem. Jesus continues helping people. Going forward, he then feeds four, sorry, 5,000 people. So that alone, listen, you can help other people, great. 
this is the original love feast. I mean, we had a great one last week. But imagine you're going here. You've, you've traveled to the wilderness, right, to go and listen to Jesus. You're hungry. You have no food. And all of a sudden, you see this guy breaking one piece of fish over and over and over and over and over again, and it just multiplies. Right? Imagine the faith of the people at that time. Because these guys, man, half of these guys were fishermen. They know how impossible this is. To sit there and watch it happen, imagine how much that can build your faith. And then he doesn't stop there. Then he goes to the... Um, the, um, the Syrophoenician, I always mispronounce this name, the Syrophoenician's um, daughter. Now, let me give you some more context. So basically, Jesus wanted to get away from it all. He wanted to go away with him and his disciples to the area of Tyre. So Galatia is that little red piece right there. So this little, this is Galilee, I mean, sorry. This is Galilee right here. This is his main area, right, right around here. Essentially, he was having his first leader's retreat, trying to take his disciples away to talk to them privately. On the way, he meets a foreign woman. Another country, not a Jew. She comes in and she needs her daughter healed. Now, he could say, listen, my job is to save the Jews. You can come late. Wait for, there's a guy named Paul. He's great. He'll be there later on. He's awesome. Wait for that guy. It'll be a few decades, but he'll be good. No. He sees her and he heals her. He heals a foreign person who had nothing to do with their group. And again, this goes in the flies in the face of the tradition at the time because that community liked to stay to themselves. They're fairly isolationist. They only got intermingled with you when they got conquered by you, when you conquered them, or they conquered you. That's usually when the, the, the Jewish committee at the time would interact with anyone else. I mean, some of them intermarried, but then usually they died for it. So... Because of that context, Jesus was blowing up all the traditions that these guys had. And he was going into other areas and impacting people so that other people from other countries were hearing about Jesus. So the word of him spread everywhere. And then, it doesn't even stop there. Now you get into the best part. So if the disciples' faith is not already here, now Peter makes the first confession that Jesus is the Son of God. So Peter is asked, who do you think I am? And out of, on his own, he says that he's the son of God. But then, being Peter, right after, he rebukes Jesus for telling him that he's going to die and be raised again. And then that's when we get the famous uh, quote, get behind me, Satan. So the, the point I'm trying to make is it, it takes time. It took time for the disciples to learn who Jesus was. It took time for them to build their faith. And this is a big thing because, guys, understand, it's going to take time for you to build your faith, right? And the thing is, it's a, pro it's a progression, right? If these guys took the three years to believe in Jesus while he was right there with him, right? Understand, it's going to take work and effort to build your faith. And if there was ever a more evidence of this, let's think about the point number four, item number four that happened, the transfiguration, right? These guys saw not only Jesus on a mountain, they also saw Moses and Elijah come down glowing in front of their eyes to the point where Peter just started saying random stuff like, should I build three tents for you guys to stay? Like, 
they just started saying, like, they just couldn't understand, so he couldn't compute. It was like one of those do not compute moments in his head. So he just started saying some random stuff, just try to fit in. Like, but the fact of the matter is, he was, they were lost. And they're like, but they got to see the people that they were talking about thousands of years ago. They got to see it with their own eyes. Right? And even then they had to be, and then not only, if that was not enough, right? Then they got to hear the voice of God coming down saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, if that doesn't build your faith, that, that, I mean, I wish I could just hear like a peep. But if that doesn't build your faith, I don't know what will. But as we go into next week, we're going to find out even with all that, some of these, well, just about all of these guys fell away. And the point, the point I'm trying to make there is, guys, it's not a one-day thing. Right? You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. Right? They had their transfiguration moments, and then they had their persecution moments. Right? And we can't be dependent on just the highs. Right? We need to be resilient through the lows. Right? Because the thing is, God promises us both a better life and with it persecutions. But at the end of the day, right, God promises that one day we're going to hear his voice just like they got to hear. Right? So we're about to close out and we're going to, go to wrap up here as we go into the next um, lesson. But the one last thing I wanted to leave you with was the last thing he did on that third year. And that's the thing we had spoken about a few times. And that was the one parable that he had stated to the group and especially to the Pharisees. And that is the um, Good Samaritan. So as you guys remember about three, four weeks ago, we talked about the Good Samaritan and the difference between Israel and Samaria, how Israel didn't associate with Samaria, where Israel would actually go around the country of Samaria just to avoid those people, right? Jesus was saying that, was giving out the story of the, Samar- of the Good Samaritan to Pharisees in the room. And in his example, he calls out the fact that a priest and a rabbi saw a hurt fellow Jew on the floor and did nothing. But a Samaritan helped him up. Right? Which hits on two themes. Number one, Jesus' focus on helping those in need, but also on bigotry and racism. And Jesus hit it. Jesus didn't beat around the bush with that. He hit it right straight on, which caused a lot of problems with the Pharisees. Because that was the norm back then. That was expected back then. People were on one side, people and the other guys were on the other. Jesus brought the two groups together. Jesus unified those people. Samaritans were following Jesus. Hebrews were following Jesus. Later on, Greeks were following Jesus. Right? Off the back of Jesus' teaching, and more, more importantly, his example, he brought people together and he called out the hypocrisy. But he did it in a loving way, and he did it with the Bible. His focus was to keep the focus on God and not our personal feelings, not our personal baggage, right? Because he knew the baggage, and this is why he specifically picked those people, which is why it was so offensive to the rabbis and the Pharisees being used as examples of, of, of apathy, right? Because it was offensive to them to hear that a Samaritan was seen as more righteous than them. So, but the thing was, right, it was less about ego and more about caring about others. And that example 
right? And the relevance of what Jesus did carries on till today, right? And that's one place where we can use his example more than anything else, especially in times like these. Jesus' examples of love, regardless of background or anything else. So looking at these examples, understand that the issues we have are not new. That's the other thing we get. None of the problems we have here started here. None of the problems we have now started now. We've been deal- people have been dealing with these problems for 2,000 years at least. So this is not something new. But the good thing is we have the answer, and Jesus has given us the blueprint right here. So we're about to take our break. Uh, Madi's going to come up and give a, a few announcements, but uh, the next thing I just want to give you is the, the best part of this, uh, the homework. So we are going to be reading um, chapter 19. So in, guys, if you do not have um, a training for service book, um, I believe it's uh, either Gladys or Madi will, will confirm who can um, get you guys uh, a copy of the book. Um, but uh, see the guys um, in the back. But if you do have the book, we are going to be reading chapter 20, so please do study up on chapter 20. Um, follow up on chapter 19 for the quiz next week. And uh, let's pray real quickly, and then um, Amadi will come up and have some announcements. Heavenly Father God, thank you for just giving us Jesus. Thank you for giving us an example to follow, Father. Thank you for giving us the blueprint to live our lives by, Father. Thank you for your grace, for thinking of us in such a way where you've mapped out our lives, Father, where you've drawn out the lines where we should follow, Father. Thank you for having this plan for us. Thank you for the sacrifice and being willing to put your son on this earth to just die for us fallible human beings, Father. I pray that you just guide us and help us to continuously learn from him, Father. Help us to continue to learn and dig into your scriptures to learn more about you. Father, uh, I pray for the rest of the service. I pray that it will be just um, blessing and pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name I pray, God. Amen.